It felt like there was a lack of community specifically on the in-house side, specifically related to the niche that I wanted to practice in. You are more than a lawyer. You are a powerhouse. Welcome to Powerhouse Lawyers. I'm your host, Erin Gurner, a former lawyer, wife, mom, entrepreneur, and coach. And I'm here to show you what's possible. So if you're ready, let's go. Hey, powerhouses. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited you guys are here this week. So this is a funny, vulnerable tip I'm going to tell about myself as a lawyer, and I'm kind of ashamed of this. So I will go, I should be better about reading contracts. Like I should, my attorney mind, like if someone gives me something, you know, and you go to like the jump house, for instance, and you're like signing the agreement, I just like sign the thing. And then I think to myself, golly, like with my legal background, I really should be (laughs) better about reading contracts. But I have found even some of my like attorney friends, like we're bad about like signing a lease. I remember we signed the lease for our house. I'm thinking back about golly, like I really should have combed over that lease. But you know, in my mind, we were in a hurry. It was the standard Texas lease. Like we looked over it enough, but really with my skill set, I should be better about that. I should be the one. There's always jokes that I see of memes. Like, you know, your parent is a lawyer when you send home like a school note and it comes back and it's redlined, like they've crossed out things and they've corrected grammar and they've added commas and they've like here for two and all this stuff. So that's just a funny little thing about me that I am going to get better about basically because I'm interviewing my great friend um, next on the podcast. She is the founder of Contract Nerds. So it is her passion to teach lawyers and other professionals about contracts and to make them easy and not intimidating and to point out similar issues. Because we know, I mean, just think about when you graduated from law school and you go out and someone hands you that very first contract, you're like, I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with all this a lot of trial by fire. So she's basically taken something that can be super complicated and overwhelming and whittled it down into a company called Contracts Ner- Contract Nerds, and she's forming community around that. So could I not be more in love with this next guest? And I hope you enjoy her story. It is fascinating, and it's really just proof that when lawyers start using the creative side of their mind and they start using it in conjunction with their full-time legal job, you can create something incredibly unique, impactful, and helpful for future generations of lawyers. So enjoy the show. Hey, Powerhouse Lawyers, welcome back to the show. I am so excited that you guys are here, and I'm so excited to introduce you to our next guest. Her name is Netta Al-Najafi, and she is the founder of Contract Nerds. So just by that, we need to find out what this woman is doing with contracts. She's an award-winning in-house attorney, speaker, author, and founder of Contract Nerds. She currently serves as senior corporate counsel for Franklin Templeton, a Fortune 500 global finance services organization, where she manages 
packages, buy-side, commercial, and technology agreements. Previously, she served as in-house counsel for booming startups and large OEMs with the automotive and tech industries. While Nada is a generalist with experience handling intellectual property, employment, and other corporate matters, she is particularly passionate about contracts. And since 2022, she's dedicated much of her time outside of work to creating resources about contracts for lawyers and contract professionals alike, including her company or via her company, Contract Nerds, her book, Contract Redlining Etiquette, and all of her amazing LinkedIn posts, which is how I connected with her and just knew I needed to be in her sphere and learn more about her. So welcome to the show. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Your podcast is awesome. And I'm so excited to be here. Amazing. Okay. Well, we just heard like the reader's digestion or digestion, digest version of Netta. Why don't you take me back to the beginning? Why did you go to law school and how have you come full circle with contract nerds? Yeah. So I went to law school for multiple reasons. Probably the driving reason was my parents said you can be a doctor or lawyer. And that was what they were sort of pushing me towards. But also I've always loved reading and writing. So I definitely lean more towards the law side. And um, I graduated law school in 2009 during the economic recession So I think I had um, more of a difficult time transitioning from, you know, being a law student to being a paid lawyer than uh, most people have. And those struggles, I believe, have really led me to where I am today and to really have a passion for giving back to the community to hopefully make their journey and their experiences uh, less complicated and less of a struggle than what I had. So what were some of those struggles? Because I know our listeners can really relate. I think there's so much power in struggles and not powers in struggles, powers in stories so we can hear each other's struggles. Um, and especially for females, because I think nothing is linear. It's, it, you know what I mean? Nothing goes the way that we think that it's going to go. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about that journey of pivoting and kind of figuring out where you were going to end up. Yeah, you make such a good point, Aaron. And that was one of my learning lessons is that I'm, I am a major planner, control freak almost. And I like to have everything in order and be organized and know exactly where I'm going. And graduating during a recession means that your plan A is definitely not going to work out. Your plan B, if you even have one, probably won't work out. And so it forces you to come up with a plan C, D, E, F, and so on to be very nimble and to be have a lot of stamina and to continue persevering and staying focused on what you really want, despite some of the obstacles coming your way. So that was a really big learning lesson. And it's turned me into the kind of person who always sees multiple options ahead of me instead of just one so that I can be even better planned, you know, for in case anything like that happens again. Um, But I would say, you know, another struggle is simply that law school doesn't always prepare you for the skills you need to be successful on the job. And that means that you don't always have the right things to put on your resume and to talk about when you're interviewing for a profession that you're just starting out in. 
like, I don't know if you experienced this or not, Aaron, but oh, you know, I was in this. This is such a common theme, right? You have, I mean, almost every single lawyer that I interview has the exact same. It's the exact same story. They don't teach you how to be a lawyer in law school. They teach you the law, but then they don't teach you what to do with it afterwards. Right. So then you go to all these interviews and they're asking you, well, why are you interested in business litigation? Or why are you interested in intellectual property? Why are you interested in our firm? And you really you're like, well, I want to be an attorney and I want to get paid. What's there more to be interested in? Like, I don't have any other experience to know what else I'm interested in. And so it's it's defining your interests and passions up front, which I sort of did by a process of elimination. Like, what am I not interested in? And that's where I I knew very early on that I didn't want to be a litigator or work at a big law firm. I wanted to be an in-house attorney. Um, and I like more of the creative side and more of the preventative work and the negotiation and strategy of building a company, um, as opposed to, uh, you know, advocating for my clients during a lawsuit. And, And then it's also getting experience in the thing that you are passionate about and in the area that you do want to get a job in one day, because then what else are you going to have to talk about during the interview? How are you going to be successful to land the interview to even be successful at your job? And so that's what I try to offer with contract nerds is this exposure to contracts, whether it's from writing an article to reading an article to attending a webinar or joining the community or commenting on posts. It gives you this exposure to real life contracts experts, real life contracting content and skills that you may not be able to get in law school. So now suddenly you can say, oh, well, I'm passionate about contracts because I went to a contract nerds webinar on software service agreements. And I just loved how this and this and that. So now you have something really substantive that you can talk about and point to, to say, this is why I want to be here. That's incredible. So tell me a little bit more about contract nerds. This was clearly birthed out of, I always say heart-centered businesses are birthed out of the exact thing that we needed and wanted when we were practicing and coming, you know, coming up in the practice. So talk to me about contract nerds and how this baby was birthed and what it's turning into now. Yeah, it's so funny. I do call it my first baby. Um, And I birthed contract nerds in August of 2020. Contract nerds is three and a half years old right now. Um, And then I had my son in June, 2021. So it really was my first baby. And, And I really just started it. I didn't know that I was starting it when I started it. I, what I did start doing was I knew that I wanted to be a part of a community, especially during the pandemic and everyone was quarantined and we just weren't able to go to in-person networking events or even see our coworkers in person or our friends in person. And so I was really craving that human connection and particularly on the professional side. So I went to LinkedIn and I saw that folks were posting substantive content and teaching things to people. And some of them were attorneys who were posting. And I just started posting about contract negotiation tips. And my first post was really, it was just advice for in-house counsel, use explanatory comments with your red lines. And the, the likes and the comments and the feedback I got was just overwhelmingly positive that I was like, I think there's something here. People are really um, hungry for information and education around contracts. And contracts is one of those things that 
is um, it's difficult to teach because it requires um, a background in many different things and a lot of exposure to different experiences. And there's a lot of different types of contracts and different types of industries and companies who use contracts. So um, starting to talk about contracts and posting about it on LinkedIn. And I just kept that up for a while where my following started to grow. But then I thought, well, what if someone wants to search for a particular post? You can't really search on LinkedIn based on topic. It's not that easy. So maybe I should put it all on like a blog on a website. And that's when I started to build my own website on WordPress. And I had a couple different names for contract nerds, but I woke up in the middle of the night and I remember sitting up in bed and waking up my husband and he was like, what, what, what happened? And I said, I got it. I got the name. <laughs> <laughs> and and I checked uh, GoDaddy and the domain name was at, like, it was available and it was contractnerds.com. And I think that the brand name has a big part of its success as well, because people just resonate with it so much. Um, so yeah, so now today, Contract Nerds is a resource hub, really, and a community all about contracts created by contract experts for all types of contracts professionals, not just attorneys, but also contract managers, procurement and sales professionals, legal ops professionals, really anybody who works with contracts to come and learn more about contracts and to actually have fun with it. That is amazing because truly, I think most people, even lawyers listening to this podcast are like, a lot of contracts are intimidating. It's a lot of words. I mean, and even like guilty as charged, like I will even be like, oh, just, I just sign. Like, I just, I'm like, those are intimidating words. I don't really, I'm just hoping for the best that that indemnity clause won't apply. You know, like hopefully none of this is applicable ever. So what are some of the common pain points for people in contracts? Like what, what makes contracts so intimidating and how are you simplifying the process? Yeah, so I think it's one part of it is just the breadth of subject matter that contracts can cover. For example, as an in-house attorney, you could work on technology agreements, you could work on data privacy agreements, you could work on manufacturing agreements, you could work on all a lot of different types of agreements throughout the same work week. But each agreement has a different risk profile. It has a different set of clauses that you might see. And it you probably would take a different approach to it depending on who the other side was, who the other company was. So there's number one, the breadth of the subject matter. And I try to publish articles that clearly define the subject matter that we're talking about. So for example, there's articles on non-disclosure agreements, there's articles on technology agreements, there's articles on data privacy agreements, so that if you are working on a certain type of agreement this week, but you don't really know where to start, you can just go to the contract nerds website and put it in the search bar, and then it will show you the articles that are relevant to that type of contract. So trying to stay organized and bucketed with the types of subject matter that the contracts cover. And then there's the legalese, the words. And, you know, we talk a lot about legalese versus plain language in the contracting world. And traditionally, contracts have a lot of legalese. So it's words that are not even plain English. It's almost like learning a whole new language. And for that, I say, just get more exposure to contracts. One of the things I recommend to law students or new lawyers who want to work with contracts is just go read contracts like terms and conditions of websites that you use every day. You're on LinkedIn. Have you read the LinkedIn terms of use? 
you know, you live in an apartment that you pay rent for. When was the last time you read your lease agreement? Go back and look at it again and look at it from the eye of, okay, well, if I was a lawyer on this side, here are some things I'd want to change. And if I was a lawyer on that side, here are some things I'd want to change. But also just like reading and getting your eyes familiar with the language, the structure of a contract, the way it usually flows from beginning to end, the section header names and all of that. And it's really just building that exposure and familiarity um, to get more comfortable with it. And then the third piece that I think makes contracts um, challenging sometimes is the negotiation piece, right? Because the contract doesn't exist in a vacuum. And just because someone gives you a contract doesn't mean that that's how they're going to sign it. Most likely the contract will change from the starting point to the end point. And those changes are via negotiations and red lines, which I love talking about. Um, and negotiation is often seen as more of a business skill. Not a lot of attorneys receive formal negotiation training. Like I ran a poll at one of my webinars and I asked folks, when was the last time you received formal negotiation training? And I think um, it was like in the 75% range had said they had never received training on negotiation skills. Most of us just kind of, again, learn it on the job. So really honing in on business skills like negotiation and communication is some of the things that no one really tells you. You're just sort of expected to know and be really good at the, the day that you start working. Um, and so I tried to also have webinars and articles on those topics as well to start teaching these as formal skills that contract professionals should know. That's amazing. I mean, honestly, and how needed and necessary. And it seems like what I hear from you is that you're really forming a community around this particular concept. Can you speak more to that? I mean, I, of course, am a huge, I will die on the hill of community for lawyers. That's what I do. That's, I mean, that's what I love. And so I think that it is so fascinating. And as many lawyers as I bring on this podcast, there's always an undertone, no matter what they're doing, of the need for community, especially for female lawyers. It's just an undertone in everything. And so I'd love for you to speak how Contract Nerds is forming a community around contracts. <laughs> yes, yes. I also am a big proponent of community in multiple facets of my life. Um, our catchphrase for contract nerds is you're nerdy, but you're not alone. And Yay! yeah, <laughs> and that really just kind of resonates with me because I would say, you know, um, pretty early on as a, as a, as a 2L or a 3L in law school, I knew that I wanted to go in-house but a lot of the programs in law school are designed for litigation attorneys. And so I felt kind of alone and kind of like an outlier being someone who didn't want to get my job through OCI or work at a big law firm, someone who wanted to go more of the transactional route. And from career counselors to mentors at the time to professors, no one really had um, a way to guide me or the right answer when I would say, what should I do? I want to, I want to get a job in-house. What should I do? And they would just say, Hmm, you know, maybe first get litigation experience and then go in-house. And so it felt like there was a lack of community specifically on the in-house side, specifically related to the niche that I wanted to practice in. 
which was seen as a niche at that time, which I think now is not so much. Now it's seen as like, there's a litigation track and there's an in-house track and they're equally, you know, valid and popular and interesting. Um, but it did feel really lonely. And that just meant that everything was a challenge for me from yeah. finding the right mentor to finding a company that was hiring junior in-house counsel, preparing my resume, preparing for my interview, essentially every single step of that process it felt like I was doing it alone and it felt like it, everything was an obstacle and a challenge. So what that creates for women or for new lawyers is hurdles and it delays you. It delays you from getting to the place that you should be. And what I think community can solve is not only to make you feel less lonely, which then leads to you being more confident and confident leads to landing more jobs and getting you know more successful um, interviews and all that. But you're also sort of closing that gap where, hey, this isn't like um, an outlier. You're not like a black sheep for wanting to do this. There's other people like you that you can ask for advice and you can say, what do you think about this? What would you do here? Do you have a template for this type of agreement? I really support each other substantively on the job, not just to get the job. Um, and I think that community is just so powerful like that people being around people who think like you or have the same goals as you and sometimes challenge you too. you know, community isn't always agreeing and saying yes. One of the things I love about the contract nerds community is that everyone is really professional and polite, but they do speak up when they have a difference of opinion. So I will say, you know, here's what I think we should do with this particular negotiation and someone in the chats or in an article a comment might say, well, what about this approach? And that's really eye-opening. And that's, as a teacher, I'm learning. And so there's this exchange of information and support that's happening. It's not one way. And that is so incredible because I think that there, well, I know that there is this toxic narrative in the law that we're all out here on our own ship by ourselves, and we have to figure it all out by ourselves. And it means we're weak and we don't know enough or we're not smart enough. And we've got to ask for help. That is absolutely, it could not be further from the truth. You get to where you're going so much faster together when you are asking questions, when you, because it's, we always get so stuck in the how. It's never the how, it's always the who. Who do you know? How are, who do you need to ask questions so you can get to where you're going so much faster? And there are so many more people in the law who want to call you forward, to want to reach their hand back and, and bring you up because we know how hard this is. And it's, I remember when I was coming through, I feel like the female lawyers, when I was coming through, it was very much like I suffered, you suffer, <laughs> you know, like this yes, is like, I yes, touched two miles 100%. up in the snow. So are you, but I feel that is changing. I feel the tide changing so much with just this push for wanting to be together in community because the law can be so lonely. I mean, it can be really lonely trying to figure out and intimidating as a baby lawyer to figure it out all on your own because there's so much you don't know. So bravo to you for making something that seems incredibly complicated and, and bringing it down to simplicity and really a learning tool for everyone to do better with their contracts and make better decisions. But I'd love for you to, so you're obviously, this is your baby on the side. You're still practicing full-time law. So what, can you speak to that a little bit about starting something on the side um, of your law practice? Yes. I 
I have always had a side hustle essentially since I graduated law school. And I think it's, it's because I graduated during the recession that as I was explaining, it was sort of unprecedented territory. And it took me about a year to get my first full-time paid job as an attorney. And in that first year, 2009 to 2010, I was just taking any job that I could. So I had, I was doing personal injury. I was covering court appearances for a couple other attorneys. I did a little bit of bankruptcy law. I did some IP. I did some like trademark filings and copyright registrations. I did whatever I could to get experience and to make money. Um, until I got to the point where I had like one full-time paid job and I ended up doing um, civil litigation for a couple of years before I did ultimately go in-house. So I kind of went in like a, a windy road to get to where I wanted. But even, you know, with previous jobs, I still kept clients on the side. I still kind of did my own thing because when I was doing civil litigation, that's not really where I wanted to be. So I had some clients that just through word of mouth, family, friends that that were giving me the kind of work that I actually wanted, which was contracts, intellectual property, things like that. So I just did it on the side and I, I did it for really cheap. I sometimes did it for free if they're like, you know, a family friend, um, of course, wanting a discount, you know, and, but, but it got me the experience. And so I've always been kind of like, I had my day job and then I had work on the side. And I kind of just like that shuffle. And I like the diversity of projects that I get to work on. Um, But when I went in-house at Franklin Templeton, that that was my um, full-time job, especially because it's a large public company. And I was required to have that be my my only job that I was providing legal services for. Um, And I've been with Franklin Templeton for almost five years now. They're an incredible company. And my team is incredibly supportive. And what that does is it gives me the ability to create on the side. And like I said before, I didn't know I was building a business when I was building it. I thought I was just interacting and posting and kind of having fun. And it is all really fun. But eventually, over the years, Contract Nerds grew into its own business that generates revenue through advertisements and sponsorships. Because one of my goals is to always keep the information accessible to contracts professionals in the way that I do that. Instead of charging contracts professionals, I charge usually CLM or legal tech sponsors who want to engage with the contract nerds community. And so that kind of makes, you know, both sides happy. But I would say that what's really important to having a side hustle is to first have really solid footing on your day job. You have to be really good at your day job and really diligent and always prioritize it. It is always my first priority. And you have to have a certain type of job. Like it can't be the type of job that requires you to work late at night and on the weekends because that's the time I spent on my side hustle. That's the time I spent on contract nerds is at night and on the weekends. So there has to be a... um, you know, you have to have solid footing. You have to always make it your priority until you're ready to leave it if you want to go, you know, full-time with your side hustle. Um, and you have to have really good time management to make sure that you're always keeping things separated and organized and, you know, managing things as you should be. Um, but there's also so much crossover for me. Like I'm not selling shoes. I'm, I'm, I'm writing content about contracts and I get a lot of those stories from my day job. 
like I'll be negotiating contracts in real life and something will happen. And I'm like, ah, this would be such a good article, you know? And so I, I jot it down and I make a note to myself, like, this is the scenario, write an article using this as an example and some tips on how to address it. What worked for me? What didn't work? So they kind of do go nicely together. And um, that's, I I love practicing law and I see myself doing it for a really long time. So for me, it's kind of like balancing my day job with my night job is kind of how I see it. And what I hear from you is that dipping into this passion of contract nerds, I think, or it sounds like to me has really enhanced and enriched your job as a lawyer because they work so hand in hand. So it's, you're doing your day job, right? That you Mm -hmm. love and that you're very good at, but you also have this creative outlet on the side that's, that's fueling what you don't get at your, at your day job. And so together that forms a very fulfilling life and career. Yes. You said it so well, Aaron, that's exactly right. For contract nerds, I'm I use my attorney brain, but I'm not practicing law. What I am doing is I'm creating content, right? And that's very different from what I do in my day job, which is practicing law and actually the substantive contract review and negotiation work. Um, But I think that I've met so many lawyers who have this creative side to them that is like suppressed or forgotten about, or there's just no time for. But when they start tapping into it, And I've seen a lot of people start to tap into it through LinkedIn posts. There's like this beautiful creation that comes out of it because we've had so many different experiences and because the way lawyers think are like structured, but also, you know, analytical. Also, there's that creative aspect, which helps you think outside of the box and helps you put yourself in the position of. I'm representing this client, I'm representing that side, you know, and you kind of have this imagination that you work with. And um, yeah, definitely having my creative outlook makes me even happier with my day job because then I'm not starving for creativity during the day. I know that at night I can go and do this. So I think they complement each other really well. And I was reading a book the other day and they described what I'm doing as an encore career. That a lot of people after like having worked in something for 15, 20 years or whatever, want to go and do something a little bit more fulfilling. So they just like quit their regular job and they completely change tracks. Um, But what I'm doing is kind of able to do both at the same time, which, um, which I didn't plan, but has, has worked out really nicely and it can be challenging. It definitely gets stressful sometimes, but it's, it's also fun and really rewarding. And that's what keeps me going. And I think it's just really important to note, it's just like you said, we don't, lawyers don't get to tap into creativity often or really at all. I mean, there's not like a creative writing class, let's be honest, you know, like we're, it's pretty cut and dry, right? And so we get to a point where it's snuffed out all of our creativity and all of these other things about us that are are really exciting and work really well, but we've just basically shut off that side of our brain. And it's really, it's, you're so right about these LinkedIn posts that I've seen businesses bloom just basically out of a post because they were just speaking from their creative side. It has to do with law, but it was creatively coming from them. And then they get this response back and they're like, oh my gosh, did I really just strike a chord here with people? Yes, you did strike a chord because somebody was just waiting on you to speak up and, and say that. And it's just, once they dip into that creativity, you see like the light in their eyes come on again. Yes, 
Absolutely. So how can people find you and be a part of Contract Nerds if they want to come in your community and learn all the things about contracts? Well, uh, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. I do regular posts about contract negotiation and redlining tips, and I'll share my events and everything coming up. But you can also go to contractnerds.com. That's contractnerdsplural.com. And we have a weekly newsletter that provides all of our most recent articles, plus upcoming free webinars and CLEs all about contracts. Uh, So that's a great place to find me and connect with me there. Amazing. Well, you know, I'm not going to let you out of here without our funny Lily Blonde moment. So as you know, as told you before we started, Started recording, I always ask my guests to share a funny Legally Blonde moment in their life. So I would love if you would share something a little humorous with us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, one thing comes uh, immediately to mind when, when you asked me that earlier is so last week I was driving somewhere and on my way on the freeway, I noticed that the gas tank was almost fully empty. And I just have a really bad habit of not noticing when the gas tank goes empty. Oh my gosh, this is me. This is me. It drives my husband crazy. Exactly. And my husband is so sweet and he usually fills it because we, we have one car because we both work remotely. So we share one car. Well, so I was sort of driving. I'm like, oh no, I got to pull over. So I pulled over and I went and filled the tank and then I got in my car. And when I turned the car on, the tank was still reading on empty. So I called my husband. I said, I think there's something wrong. I filled the tank. It's still showing empty. And he was like, are you sure you filled it? And I said, yes, I filled it. I was standing there. I heard it. I filled it. And he's like, okay, well, you know, come and we'll check it tomorrow. Well, the next day came around and I just went out in the morning thinking I filled it, but maybe the reader's broken. And in the middle on my way to Starbucks, the car stopped on the road right next to the Hollywood Bowl on a super busy street. And we ended up sending it into the dealership and everything. And it turns out I had never filmed the tank. I had put it in and pressed it. And I don't know, I was probably distracted or on my phone or something, but actually there was no problem with the car. I just don't know how to fill up the gas tank apparently, but I was very adamant that there was something wrong with the car. And I for sure You're like, filled it. There I know I put the gas in, the in there. But and you know, when your husband asks you to, you're like, did you put gas in there? And you're immediately like, am I an idiot? Of course I put gas in there. It's oh, like, yeah. did you plug it in? Like, don't even ask me that question. Well, <laughs> I haven't actually admitted to him that I accept my responsibility. And I, I guess I didn't put the gas. I'm still like, well, there must be a hole or something. <laughs> so such a legally blonde moment. <laughs> that's a really good one that and that's when I can totally resonate I've driven off with the thing in there and like it came oh. to, like it hooked, unhooked from the gas machine yeah. like I've driven away with it in my car so oh there's my that gosh. Too. that's expensive too did they find you well it just now they have the ones that like detach because I oh, guess okay. I'm not the only idiot that does that yeah. so they just have like a mechanism that detaches and you can hang that thing back up so it wasn't like a total <laughs> and I didn't make it very far with the tube so <laughs> that's good to know too <laughs> 
Oh my goodness, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was such a fun conversation. I'm so happy to meet you finally in person. We've been following each other forever on LinkedIn. And I'm just so happy that now I can have a name and a face and we had a beautiful conversation. So thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, you too, Erin. Thank you so much. Your podcast is incredible and helping so many people out there. And I'm just honored to be on it. Thank you for a great conversation. Awesome. Thank you. See you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening into the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you loved this episode, I would be so honored if you left a review. And because I know you are the type of woman who wants to see other women win, be sure to share this episode with someone who needs it. By sharing it, you are empowering a fellow sister in the law to know that she is not alone, that there is nothing wrong with her, and that she can build a life and career that she loves. Thank you. See you next week. Hey, Powerhouse. As a dedicated listener to this podcast, I have curated a special place just for you. It's called the Powerhouse Lawyers Facebook group. You can head on over to the show notes, click on the link, and join our community. This Facebook group is for listeners of the show, attorneys, no matter where you are in your practice, maybe you're a law student, or maybe you're just someone fascinated by the legal profession. This Facebook group is for you. This is a community that is going to engage in discussions on episodes. You'll get special exclusives. There's valuable networking opportunities. I'll be providing some educational content. And above all, you'll get a strong, supportive community and support system. So click on the link in the show notes below to join the Powerhouse Lawyers Facebook community where community, knowledge, passion, and collaboration thrive. Again, head on over to the show notes to click on the link to join the Facebook group for the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. Thanks so much. See you guys there.